So I'm doing a reading the other day in Berkeley. And oh, by the way, yeah, we started the show. I didn't say hello. No formal introduction. I just got right to the story. Forgive my terrible manners. Welcome to the show. Grab a seat. Apparently, I am in the middle of a yarn. Um, So there's these kinds of readings that happen in people's backyards, right? They're kind of like house concerts for, for musicians, where people with cool houses and cool backyards, or not a very cool house but a big backyard, or not a very cool house or a cool backyard but ample space, you get the idea. This was a nice house with a nice backyard that was big. And I was invited by the owner of the house, who happens to be a literary sort who's a big fan of my book, Emergency Anthems. So they asked me to come read with four other poets, and I said, yes, of course. So there I was at this house. It was really beautiful. It was a warm California late summer evening. There were tons of uh, refreshments and food, all this like, I don't know, it was like a super hipster event, you know, so everything was like plant-based, keto, local, farm-to-table, that kind of thing. And it was delicious. And it was a great night. And I read well. I was happy with the way uh, it all went. People were very kind. And after my reading, you know, you do like a question answer kind of thing. So I did a, I did a Q&A. And people asked some great questions. And I answered them. And, uh, and that was that. And the last question came from this woman. And she was like, oh, I listened to your podcast. And I know you're a big fan of Halloween. But right now it's only September. But are you getting ready for Halloween? And I said, yes, I, I'm a huge Halloween guy, and uh, I have all my Halloween decorations out, my skeletons, my, my uh, I was going to say my nativity scene, but I don't have one of those, and that wouldn't go for Halloween. But my skeletons, my, um, what do I have? What else do I have? I have a bunch of Halloween stuff, right? There's like ghost stuff I put up. I have these vampires I put in the front yard. There's a tombstone. I got all the stuff. I'm into it. So she goes, wow, it's not even October yet, but it sounds like you've got Halloween, you know, cooking over at your house. And I go, oh, yeah, I do. I've already started warming up the pumpkin. <laughs> and as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, that's that's creepy. What does that even mean? It creeped me out, and it definitely creeped her out. She got a very weird look on her face, and we moved on. But it definitely put a stop to any momentum I was having in that Q&A session, I'm warming up the pumpkin. Don't know what that means, but something tells me it's revolting. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. I'll be warming up the pumpkin. All you have to do is check this out.
That is the music of my guest today on the program, Lily Winwood. Let me tell you a little bit about Lily Winwood. Lily Winwood grew up in the English countryside, a locale that was lush, expansive, and quiet, which actually sounds perfect for a guy like me who just wants to read books, hang out with his cat, and warm up the pumpkin. But for a teenager, that kind of setting makes one crave the noise. And that's exactly what Winwood was craving. The hum and groove of a big city was calling. So at 18, she left home for a little more social and artistic volume. After a few stops over a few years, she ended up in Nashville, which was not only a comfortable place, after all, her mom was from Tennessee, and she visited the state regularly as a kid, it was a place filled with like-minded artists. Since then, Lily Winwood has been on a creative tear. Her debut, Time Well Spent, was assured and filled with promise, and her follow-up, Talking Walls, is a massive leap forward. Shimmering with wisdom, Talking Walls is filled with equal parts strength and maturity. Bringing to mind the work of Casey Chambers or Patty Griffin, Talking Walls isn't afraid to confront the big questions, and the results are massively satisfying. A rollicking, melodic, and decidedly memorable set, Talking Walls is a refreshing blast of roots rock that's as fresh as it is timeless. Lily Winwood has already done a lot in her young career. She sang backup for her dad, Steve Winwood, and even opened for him on occasion. She's also toured with Jackie Green and Todd Snyder, and was on the bill for the all-star Neil Young tribute show. With a voice that's imbued with power and life, Winwood's delivery is breezy and ageless, and her songs remind us that, sure, Life can put you through it, but guess what? The good stuff is always waiting on the other side. We're on the other side of this introduction, so let's get right to it. My conversation with Lily Winwood, right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. nowhere in Connecticut I'm in Waterbury Connecticut have you ever heard? I've heard of it I've never been there we're playing in Norfolk Connecticut tonight which is like equally middle of nowhere but that's a good kind of 45 minutes away because this was the closest hotel I could get to really <laughs> yeah but I mean oh my god it's gorgeous it's like alternatively you know it's like 72 degrees and like not a cloud in the sky so I've just been kind of outside all day found like a little lake and I've been reading my book but perfect what are you reading these days I so I'm really into like like I only really get into books if it's like I feel like I can like it's expanding my knowledge a little bit so like I love like self-help books I love like shamelessly love like self-help books I love um just like non-fiction um I love like autobiographies but I'm reading right now this book called mindfulness 
and I'm only like a chapter in, but it's it's really interesting. It's really just kind of about how like we live in like such a society where like context puts our minds in these really sort of like fixated boxes that doesn't doesn't necessarily like it, it hinders us so much like in terms of just like communicating um you know and it, it's mo mostly just kind of like it talks about how like where we see it in different ways uh in life like we see it a lot in like advertising and marketing and it's it's really interesting so far but again i'm only you know a couple chapters in is I, it because, like like preconceived notions that we bring to the table yeah yeah and they call it they call it like premature cognitive behavior and it's you know it's so interesting and like we're all subject to it and it just like the the examples that it talks about you're just kind of like oh yeah <laughs> that's me to a t yeah. yeah well i mean i like i hate it when i can tell i've already made up my mind about something before that something has really presented itself to me yeah exactly exactly oh my gosh like something down to just kind of like oh yeah i have a really noisy neighbor that's moved in next door because the first night they were noisy now every single time you hear them being noisy you'll be like oh it's that damn noisy neighbor and just right. really interesting and the funny thing is if you saw the noisy neighbor sitting on a bench reading a book and you're walking with your friend you would go look there to the noisy neighbor yeah yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> never mind that he's doing something quiet yeah yeah seriously right so interesting yeah and do, when you read books like that do you immediately apply it to you is, is that the, the appeal yeah i mean that's definitely like the goal but whether or not i actually do you know <laughs> a lot of times it kind of just goes in one ear and out the other but how does travel what is the effect that it has on you? Like when you get to a new place, are you like, I could live here? Or do you sort of see it as a kind of transitory place you're passing through? I think it kind of depends. Like I definitely, if there's some places that I get seriously attached to, you know, I, I think I, I've discovered just from traveling so much the last few years that if I do come across a city that like I've fallen in love with, it's very often times that, you know, if you were to like ever move to a city like that, you wouldn't be in love with it anymore because it it's like LA. It's like the weather's great, you know, it's amazing, like good shopping, good people, like really creative. But like, you know, if you move to LA, 72 degree weather wouldn't be interesting anymore. It wouldn't, you wouldn't appreciate it. Um, and so that's kind of just like my, you know, way of looking at it but like oh man I just I love it so much and I love kind of going to new cities for specifically that reason just having like you know a set amount of time that you are going to be in that city so like enjoy it while you can kind of thing right right and you've also kind of also explained where it kind of gets back to the preconceived notions where you're sort of like oh I've fallen in love with this city um, I'm going to move there. And then you move there thinking it's going to be like when you fell in love with it. And it's not like that at all. Uh, and it's yeah. kind of the same way with people. Yeah. 
exactly like, like the idea of them is better than the reality right exactly <laughs> so i guess the, i don't know what the answer is maybe you just keep moving right exactly just do what feels good just whatever feels good to you that's always my my little mantra yeah i think you're probably right is your um is your brain like when you're traveling is your brain in writing mode or do you find that like you just can't compartmentalize like you need to sort of like just stay focused on the game that you're dealing with right now um well since i am just kind of doing this alone like i am an independent artist so you know it it makes sense for me right now to just like travel solo and kind of play all the roles of like you know tour manager like roadie yada yada so like a lot of times you know i i do have like a very to make it work for me I have a very kind of strict routine that I'll stick to and like certain goals that I'll try to do every day. And like between that, you know, I'll, I actually do find a lot of time to kind of be creative. Like, for example, I always try and like get outside, you know, in the morning, like I'll, I'll always, I have an app called all trails, which is a godsend. And it's like, like I, I love nature so much. So I'll kind of just hop on that and see if there's like, I don't know, like a pond nearby that I can like go walk around. Um, you know, uh, certain things like I always try and like check into the hotel at a certain time, leave the hotel at a certain time. But like sticking to this kind of routine does leave me with so much time to where like I can just sort of sit down and like be creative. And honestly in, um, I find that I do most of my writing when I'm in the car, mm. when I'm driving, because you, you know, you're forced to just kind of stare at the road, right? And like your brain doesn't really have anywhere, like it's not scrolling down a phone. It doesn't right. have a constant, you know, just like serotonin boost, whatever. So you, I feel like, it just is kind of like a blank slate for your brain. And you're kind of like forced to have all these like creative ideas and stuff. So I love just kind of driving in silence and just seeing what comes up and writing it down. And it's really kind of like meditative. Yeah, and you can kind of understand how a lot of bands in the old days when they, who were on the road so much, that they would write songs about being on the road, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So exactly. has that happened to you? Have you written like road material? Oh, absolutely. I mean, a lot of, a, a common theme for a lot of my songs is naming the songs after specific cities. I have a song called, or like states, like I have um, a song called California. I have a song called Indiana. I have a song called London. <laughs> I have a song called Ida Stone, which is basically Idaho. That is about getting stoned in Idaho. But um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, especially like when you've just been doing it for so long, like you, you create such specific memories that you relate to certain areas in your life. Well, at least I do. So, you know, yeah. it definitely makes sense to just be, writing songs about like being on the road and it's a it's it's such a specific feeling you know of like adventure and travel and like kind of crossing a threshold into the unknown that 
I don't feel like you can really get a lot of places elsewhere, you know? So it's, it makes sense that people write a lot about being on the road. Yeah, like you wouldn't have a song, you wouldn't have Getting Stoned in Idaho if you didn't actually go. Stoned in Idaho, exactly, exactly. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Which is a good name for a biography or an autobiography. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. In 30 years, I want you to write that one. Um, <laughs> But I do think that there is something, you're right, like the perspective about being somewhere makes you write about the somewhere where you are. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, there, is a, there is a certain, like I feel compelled to point this out. I don't know if you've thought about it this way, but like what you're doing is also very brave because you're, you have all those different roles that you're playing. You're an independent artist, tour, like you're saying, tour manager, roadie, booking, all this kind of stuff, and also the creative person as well. Yeah. Um, that's a lot of jobs to have at once. And, yeah. <laughs> right. And then to also like get in your car and make a foray out into the world where places you've never been before, not knowing who's going to show up and what they're going to say once they do. Yeah. There's a certain degree of bravery, I think, in that. Did you ever, did that ever dawn on you that like, like, this is a fairly bold thing to do? I think that's cool. Yeah, well, first of all, thank you. <laughs> um, but I also think there is like a level of like control freak to it. <laughs> you know, I, I like I have been doing this since I was like 18. So like I do know kind of like what I like to do, you know, where I like to stop. Like as I do, it kind of goes back to that whole routine and, and it works for me. So I think kind of like adding other people into the mix right now would definitely be like, you know, put kind of throwing an atom bomb to the mix. But I, I don't know. I, I think, I think it is daunting, but at the same time, like it's, there's, there's such a level of adventure to it. And so there's like the, the good outweighs the bad in it every single time you know and I think you just end up meeting so many people that you wouldn't have met if you had just been kind of staying sticking around your town and you get to meet like just so many different walks of life and it's it's I love it you know I was thinking about this I was thinking about this this notion that like if you make a mistake how hard are you on yourself if as the tour manager or as the roadie or as like you make a mistake do you, are you pretty difficult? Not, are you hard on yourself when you make an error of some kind or do you see it as like, now I can learn and I won't do that again? Um, I definitely see it as like a learning hub because there are, there is, you know, a, there is like an element to touring of like, you seriously do just have to like go with the flow. Like say if for an example, like I am, I need to be in this next city, but it's an eight hour drive away. Um, but so maybe I could like get a head start after I play and drive like maybe two or three hours and then find a hotel and then sleep. But like, I don't know if you get off stage and you're really freaking tired, it's probably best if you like find a hotel that night. So it's just kind of stuff like that, that like, I don't think there would ever be any real kind of mistake. It would just be like, 
oh well I could have done this better mm. like I could you know they're or not even better just like more logical right <laughs> right uh, so it's yeah it's definitely just kind of like oh rats well like that happened you know guess I'll do better next time you know yeah so it doesn't sound like you're very hard on yourself if something doesn't go right no no yeah yeah no time for that no there's no time for that no you're totally right and if something goes really well do you do you go oh I nailed that one that was oh yeah you know that goes straight to my head I'm like oh another 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 win would win <laughs> right nothing wrong with that yeah. um yeah I, and also the idea of you know this notion, I was thinking this morning, because I, I teach college for a living. So I walk into my university class this morning, I teach. And like, I got started when I was 27. I started teaching college. I'm like, now I'm 52. So it's been a long time. And I can tell that like, people don't look at me the same way they used to look at me as like, oh, here's that young guy who's kind of cool. Maybe I, at least I'm thinking they thought that. Now it's like, oh, here's that guy who's like older and maybe used to be cool. And, um, and I, can, I can feel the gaze as a different gaze. Yeah. But for you, like, how do you feel, you know, you're going to like your, your material speaks for itself. It's marvelous, but you're also, you're, you're being looked at. Are you yeah. comfortable in that? And did it take a while to, to be okay with like the, the gaze of a stranger sizing you up and making decisions about you and putting you in a box like we were talking about before? Yeah. Oh man. Well, I think that's just kind of the whole thing about being an artist, right? And being a musician, I feel like at the end of the day, like you have to sort of think to yourself, like, okay, what is the goal here? Is it to get, you know, as many people as I possibly can to listen to me? Or is it to like really connect with the audience? And I think in deciding what you want, you know, you can kind of set personal boundaries to like, okay, well, I, because, you know, be, being an artist and like, especially under your own name, like you tie so much ego into that. And I think, you know, it's, it's so easy to be, to look at every single kind of like negative review or like um, every single kind of criticism as like a knock to your self-worth. And I think as soon as you kind of like let go of that and realize that like, oh, your music is like, my music is just, if, if I can get one person in the crowd that I'm playing to, to like hear my songs and have it kind of ricochet this domino effect onto them of like, oh man, like, that was a cool song. Maybe I'm gonna go home and like practice my piano that I haven't touched in a while. That's kind of the goal for me. And so I think, you know, as soon as you figure out like what, what your goals are and what kind of way you wanna connect to the audience, you sort of lose all, well, at least for me, you kind of lose a sense of like, okay, well, like I'm not trying to impress everybody in the room like this isn't really about oppressing people it's about connecting with people mm -hmm. so yeah that that's how I look at it. I mean don't get me wrong like I you know I definitely take to heart like <laughs> negative criticism and I'm not you know it definitely will will kind of hit home sometimes if if people do 
if people don't like what they hear but yeah you kind of just have to be like screw you man it's not for you then don't listen right it's not for you i know like my so my first book was about the stone roses and the very first review i ever got lily this guy wrote i can't believe this guy teaches college <laughs> right and i was like what the fuck and then yeah. um the second review i got was like really glowing and yeah. a friend of mine said to me if you you either you take them both or you don't take either one of them yeah exactly exactly right yeah um, and one thing my dad always used to do growing up was he would uh, listen to all of his performances after the show. Like he would play the show and then he would go back into the tour bus and he would just listen to his whole set and kind of like be like, oh, like where, where did I go wrong? Like this could be better. And like first time I saw him doing that, I was like, oh God, like how could you do that? Right. I don't want to hear myself play or sing like, oh, but then you're kind of like, okay, well then how am I supposed to get better if I don't face the facts and if I don't actually face the criticism and, and, and focus on areas that do get better because, you know, you can do the same thing every night and just glide on by, but at some point, you know, you're going to reach a sort of, you know, performance plateau and you're going to want to improve things. So yeah, where better to start than the, the criticism. Well, it's the fifth cup of coffee I've had today. On the way to the doctor, they say I can't sleep again. I'll blame the
hours on my feet How the hell do you expect me to just lay down and sleep Well, my mind is a car that stops at every red light Keeps driving past your house late at night Forgive me Wondering if you sleep issues too. What is your own personal post game sort of inventory? Like, at what point do you start thinking critically about your performance? Like, from a I guess specifically in a live setting, like after you do a show, do you get in the car and drive to Massachusetts thinking about it, or do you actually listen? Like, what's your own? Um, well, for, I mean, it starts off with how it feels, first and foremost, you know, immediately as an artist, you'll walk off stage and you'll be like, that was a great show or that was a crap show. And I think oftentimes when we do say to ourselves like, oh, that that was a crap show. Oftentimes it's it's just not. You just are so kind of used to like what your 100% can be that you you don't really give yourself room. Well, this is this is all me basically, but you I don't give myself room to say like, oh, like, oh, I slipped up a little bit, you know, but but there's always next time. Mm. Um, so I don't know, I do kind of like to like listen back to what I've played and been like, oh, like I sounded really stupid when I said this certain thing about getting stoned in Idaho. So <laughs> I'm not gonna say that next time. Um, but yeah, I, I do. But then there's also a level of like comfortability in the more that you play things and the more that you say things, it's gonna be less scary and less awkward when you're on stage doing it. So I don't know, I think it's kind of that balance. <laughs> yeah, which is a tricky balance. Yeah, exactly. How about when you are, and I, I totally agree with you, that feeling is first, right? Feeling is, is absolutely first. And have you ever had a moment where you're on stage and you're feeling good, like it's good, it's going really well, you say something, crowd responds to it really well, you crush the song and then in your brain you go oh kind of crushing it <laughs> like yeah. is, is that a dangerous thing to do because then you're too aware of you crushing it and then you start you stop crushing it once you realize you are crushing it I want to say hell no I want to okay, say, say ride that wave because you know that that translates to the audience if you if you're having a good time and you're feeling good about what you're playing then like that confidence is going to shine through to the audience and then right. they're going to love it. Whereas like, if you're like, okay, let's, let's temper this down a bit. Let's calm down. Then everyone's going to kind of be like, okay, what the hell? Like, <laughs> Right. I know I was crushing it a second ago. Let's not get carried away. Let's yeah, just yeah. <laughs> let's slow it down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was reading a lot of stuff about what was going on with you in, in terms of like, there's a lot of like personal stuff about like things you were going through in the last, like, between yeah. records and I was thinking like how um your songs are are intimate they're so intimate and personal and now on top of that there's the biographical part are you 
and you, but you seem like so comfortable talking about anything, but you were, were you thinking about like, maybe I won't talk in interviews about like this particular thing and just let it go, let them figure it out. Or were you always like, I'm just going to throw it all out there. I mean, like in, in terms of like, with like talking walls and like my sobriety and stuff like that. Yeah. And like, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, I, because at the end of the day, it's, it's the same thing of like, um, that ricochet of being on stage, like that effect. Like if, if I can say this and, and talk about it and one person hears it and is like, oh, that's really fucking cool. Like, I'm going to take that home. And because this person said that, and you know, like, like I'll, I'll, I'm a pretty open book. And at the end of the day, yeah, it's just for that reason, like in hopes to kind of like connect with people and, and to help people. I imagine people have been very responsive hearing that from you. Like I'm sure, talk about helping people. I'm sure that has been very helpful to people to hear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not gonna get on stage and, and yell like, I'm sober and you know, because that, there is like a level of like attention seeking that I definitely do if I just kind of am sat down and like yeah well I'm two years sober you know people always people will never have a negative response to that so you know I, I definitely yeah. don't go around like yelling it but you know if it, if it like makes sense to kind of say that to somebody and if you know if somebody's gen generally wondering then like yeah I'm not gonna be quiet about it <laughs> Right, because it's all about it's all about context again. We go back to context because it's like you wouldn't get on stage and say, "Oh, sir, I see you drinking." I don't do that, so maybe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right, like you're not going to do that. Yeah. When I, when I was in, um, when I first started getting into writing, I remember hearing that like Jack Kerouac wrote on the road, like on a roll of paper towels, while like just dosed on speed. That right? is so funny. You just mentioned that book. My boyfriend has been reading that book for the past like eight months and it's been like he just couldn't get through it and it's been sat on the on the kitchen table for like eight months but anyway sorry carry on no, I want you to tell your boyfriend this that is actually normal I tried six times to finish that book and I never yeah. got through it really interesting <laughs> never interesting. got through it like at first you're like this is the greatest thing in the world um and then halfway through it you're like is it that's so interesting. Yeah, because he reads so quickly. Literally, he reads like three bucks books a month. And that particular one was just like sat on the kitchen table. But yeah. Yeah. I tried. <laughs> I tried several times with On the Road. Dharma Bums, I finished in one sitting and I loved it. But On the Road, for whatever reason, halfway through, I stop. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. So tell him it's normal, at least in my yeah. experience and some of my friends as well. But I remember hearing that he had written that on speed and I was like, that's so awesome. So maybe the way to write is to like get dosed up on something and then you write. But yeah. I don't think that's the answer. And have you found in your sobriety, have you found that your songwriting has changed? Have you noticed a shift? Oh yeah, 100%. Um, I think that before I didn't necessarily take it as seriously. And like, I will say this, I cannot for the life of me sit down at a desk with a piece of paper and say, today I'm going to write a song. Like my brain just does not work like that. But I will kind of go about my day like more or so like looking for creative ideas and like 
maybe if I have like a, a bunch of notes in my phone, I'll kind of be like, oh, well, like I, that was actually really interesting. I'm going to sit down and see if I can work something out with that. Whereas like before, although it was like my songs were really personal to me, I don't, I don't feel like I, I necessarily took it as seriously. And I felt like it, it was more or less just kind of like, uh, something to throw on a plate and to give to people whereas now it's like oh no let's put a bit of a bit more like personal experience into this and let's kind of maybe talk about things that I've been through or things that other people have been through and and more kind of like stories whereas before it was kind of just like like take it (laughs) take it (laughs) (laughs) but there I mean do you mean are you talking like lyrically and compositionally um lyrically and compositionally yeah 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 Yeah, so like if you listen to the new record versus the other material you you must hear a seismic shift yeah more more so in the lyrics though yeah yeah um which is kind of why like you know I released the first record um maybe like five months into my sobriety just because I was like oh, I've been sitting on this thing for so long. Like, I really just kind of want people to hear it. And then just kind of like released it without any expectations or anything like that. And then as soon as I released it, you know, it kind of, it got some attention and I was like, oh wait, no, 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 no. Like I have more songs since then. And so I just like pedal to the metal, put down all of these new songs, which I like, I really wanted people to hear. And like, honestly, that... (laughs) that's all musicians are ever gonna do is just strive to be better than the last record and I think that honestly is like what keep keep people moving keep musicians moving but um yeah I mean for me with personal experience I think yeah after that first record came out I was like no no no, but I write so differently now and I I have all these songs that are like a lot a lot better and a lot cooler and I think you guys will really like them so you know I just pedal to the metal got in the studio put those down and and got them out to people <laughs> yeah and also what people sometimes forget because they, and I think if they thought about it they would know but they forget that when like your album comes out it's already old like it's yeah. already right it's it's old material it's like two years of of material that you've been sitting on and like you're already a different person anyway so yeah. sober or not right exactly exactly are you able to, can you access your, the, that sort of creative songwriting muscle? Can you access it? This, the process is hard, but can you at least access it easier, sober than you, than the opposite? Um, I mean, I certainly have the time to access it, you know, like, I, I don't feel like I'm, I'm occupied with you know, the things that I would be occupied if I wasn't sober. So therefore, yeah, I think I do. I think I do access that muscle (laughs) more these days. Yeah. Yeah. Because it kind of feels like there's like a cloudburst of creativity in your life. Like it's like, I'll bet you have like an album's worth of new songs already is my guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, um, I don't know. I, I feel like too with me if I know that I'm writing songs for a specific project 
then it is like this weird kind of like cloud that like floats away and and you kind of look like at least like you look for it a lot more like I don't know say if like you come up with an idea that normally would just like sit in your notes for however long if you're if you know that you have a project coming up I'll like be like oh actually that's a line I know exactly where I can fit that in it'll go in this song and this third verse like it's a lot more kind of like mechanical like that um and a lot yeah just more like that that muscle is flexed a lot more if I do know that there's something coming out that I would want to add it to I mean like Nashville seems to me like you can find a musician within five inches of wherever you're standing right there's a lot of like just the talent in that city is just ridiculous right um have you formed a kind of um fellowship with local musicians where you feel you have a community of artists that you can tap into when you need to absolutely so nashville is like i love to hate it <laughs> love to hate it it's nashville is like kind of any growing city these days like i like to compare it a lot to like denver because it's like at the end of the day it's like a fairly small city with a lot of artists and a lot of like millennials and young people who whose main work is their art so a lot of these people have like side hustles like working in restaurants and stuff like that which isn't their main thing so their main jobs tend to be like quite disposable so like all the restaurants are really kind of like understaffed and they see it as like all the restaurants and like shops and stuff like that kind of see it as like them doing a favor for you as opposed to like you doing a favor for them same goes with the venues in nashville um and you rarely make any money in nashville playing playing i'm getting off track here but uh to answer your question i think there is some really bad things to that but i also think there are some amazing things to that too like i was talking with my boyfriend the other day he's also a musician and we were talking about like um mastering songs right and we were like you know what as much as i love to hate this city and kind of like all the competition and just how saturated it is i literally just looked at my phone and scrolled down and saw about five people that i know could master a song and they all live within like a two mile radius and you know it's it's one of my favorite things to do ever i live in like a little cul-de-sac in east nashville and everybody in our cul-de-sac plays music we throw block parties all the time where we literally like build a stage and then just people come that's always our, our thing is like you build the stage people will come yeah but um just that's just such a beautiful sense of community and and to answer your question yeah i think i do have like a little bubble that's ever expanding in nashville um that i love to play with and i love to hang out with and make music with is there a part of you that is always like sort of looking around going but maybe i'll live somewhere else <laughs> like you think about oh, yeah oh yeah i mean i'm also i'm i'm a country gal like i grew up in in gloucestershire england which you know middle of the cotswolds it's it's nothing but like farms and open space and you know 
I think for somebody trying to start out in the music world, like as soon as I turned 18, I was like, bye, like, I'll see you guys later. I'm going yeah. to the city. But I think, you know, the older I get, the more like, you know, traffic is less appealing to me. And, you know, I think just maybe like a, a house out somewhere in the countryside sounds more and more appealing to me every day. But I love Nashville. I'm not going anywhere anytime soon, for sure. Because growing up in the country, when you would go to sleep at night, the sounds you would probably hear were like nature sounds, right? Like yeah, animals, it, birds. Oh, doves. Like I, I actually just got back from England last week. Uh, I was there for my sister's wedding and it, it really does kind of just like take you back. Like you, you fall asleep and there's like, you know, you leave all the windows open because it's the UK and nobody has AC and like all you hear are just like sheep and it's really like something out of a storybook. But this being said, I spent 10 days there and I was like, okay, I'm really ready to get back home. Really? You'd had it. <laughs> get back to a city. Yeah, yeah. Too quiet. Yeah. When you when you decided to leave at 18, you were clearly thirsting for something more, more yeah. um, big city-ish, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I had knew, so my mom is actually from Trenton, Tennessee, which is like a little, it's like uh, West Tennessee and it's tiny, tiny town. But um, either way, we, we had a home in Nashville growing up. And so like I had spent kind of like a few summers there growing up and, and had family there. So like I knew Nashville and, and more or less kind of grew up in Nashville as well um so kind of when it came to being 18 I was like and knew I didn't want to stay in the Cotswolds I was like okay well either I can go to London which is like the equivalent of moving to like I don't know like New York you know huge city or I could just you know go somewhere like Nashville where at the time wasn't nearly as saturated as it is now and and just in in my head was just the coolest place on earth so it was kind of a no-brainer for me. Are there kinds of music that you wouldn't have been exposed to if you didn't live in Nashville? Real more like rootsy, country-ish kind of yeah. stuff that yeah. just by just by virtue of being adjacent to it has sort of informed what you're doing now in some ways. Oh, for sure. I mean, the like all the subcategories of country music. Right like the Americana folk music. Like I can remember growing up and loved Led Zeppelin, right? Loved Led Zeppelin, but then came to Nashville and just kind of, that was right when like Robert Plant was making the record with Alison Krauss and like all the people like Buddy Miller and, and producers like that, that just had a completely alternative spin on folk music and roots music. And it's just so cool and like, the Mindy Smiths and 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 I just can remember listening to people like that on the radio and being like that is the coolest thing and that's and it's lyrics that really kind of like country music is known for like lyrics that really kind of hit home and are relatable and I can remember listening to that and being like wow that's that's what I want to do like that's what I want to be like yeah, because it's not like, listen, I'm not saying you would have been Joss Stone, but like if you'd gone to London, your music wouldn't have sounded probably the way it sounds now. Exactly, exactly. Right? Yeah. Which then makes you think that like the geography of, of where you are informs the 
the aesthetic or at least the sonic choices that are being made maybe even unconsciously yeah i think 100 but we live in such a i i think i'm convinced that the music industry i mean it's already drastically changing before our eyes like things like TikTok and stuff like that like like music lawyers just don't even necessarily know what to tell people anymore <laughs> in terms of like marketing because it's just right. it's changing so much but I think also the music industry is going to see such a dramatic change in the next 10 years due to um like bedroom pop and like like home studios like if you think about it everybody everybody has more or less an access access to you know a studio of some sort if you really want it's not like the old days where you have to kind of pay to go into somewhere work with a producer you know i think so many kids and and you know like anybody like all ages can just come up with music and i think that's going to be a really really cool thing because i think it just opens such a broad category of like what you can do and and you know self-produced stuff and not having to necessarily rely on other people to work with which i think is is really cool this is a really weird question but like how are you listening to music how are you finding bedroom pop artists how are you finding new stuff like how do you do it because in the old days you would just cycle through the record store yeah oh my gosh i i hate to admit this but i am just such i'm so on the spotify game that it's it's embarrassing how much i rely on spotify for like the discovery of music of the outside world and it's just because you know i i've tried it all i've tried title i've tried apple music but none of them hit the nail on the head for like new music discovery and it's like every week spotify does this thing called discover discover weekly which is like a playlist curated on what you've listened to in the past to kind of like bring you new music and it's so good it's the fav my favorite part of the week is monday when it comes out and it just hits the nail on the head and i i cannot for the life of me find another music platform that does that so you've discovered a lot of stuff through that. Through Spotify, yeah, embarrassingly enough. <laughs> no, I mean, and also just out of curiosity, like just from a financial standpoint, is Spotify financially, this sounds like a dumb question because I feel like I already know the answer. Is Spotify yeah. financially rewarding for you or not at all? Um, for me, absolutely not, absolutely not. But I, it's so funny to um, talk to, I have a friend who plays with, um, L King, who is a huge artist, right? And um, so for people like me, right, I make most of my money through touring and playing live and merch sales and not, not really so much from like streams and downloads and stuff, but it's almost like the bigger, and, and the same goes for like people like my dad, you know, but giant artists like L King and the Taylor Swifts of the world and the people, you know, the 1% the that is making, you know, billions of streams on Spotify, they actually lose money touring and they make most of their money from streams. So it's it's almost kind of like a black and white depending on, on your, 
well a your audience and and b kind of just like how big you are and like the the billions of streams versus the thousands of streams and they would lose money because it's such a production to get on the road with a band and a a stage show right 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 yeah where where is the middle ground on that exactly exactly like who who's who's crushing it like who's who do you think has the ideal career in that middle place um I don't know. That's kind of where you come to, again, just the music industry changing so much because I think, you know, back in the day, it was so black and white that like, you know, let's let's take like the Beatles, for instance. They're selling records, they're selling vinyl. Like, you know, this was like, okay, the Beatles when they toured, right? They And then they would like play music to fans and like they were making money, right? Whereas now it's like, like people just kind of like the bedroom pop era, they, they kind of just will release singles and just market that and kind of get as many streams on singles as they possibly can and maybe never release a record. So it's kind of the music industry is kind of today just curated to like whatever your goal might be, mm. you know? So like if, if you are somebody who like, like me who kind of wants to put out records at a time and then play those to people and you kind of get the most joy out of connecting with an audience then go follow that but if you're somebody like who who just doesn't necessarily want to play live and they want to kind of maybe focus on getting more digital streams and like being more of like an online presence then go chase that like there's so many different directions you can take nowadays with the music industry so again it goes back to like whatever feels good man (laughs) right exactly exactly and there's also there's the goal of what you want and the reality of what you get right exactly and that could get confusing do you ever think to yourself like here's my 10-year plan here's my here's my five-year do you think like that or do you think like i'm just gonna roll and go the way it goes I have like very loose five-year plans. Okay. I wouldn't say as far as 10 years because who knows, I may I may not even want to play music in 10 years. But, right. But I have like a very loose kind of five-year plan of like certain goals and like maybe things that I would want to do to uh, in order to reach those goals and stuff like that. Um, but yeah I think also at the same time it is music industry such a rocky thing that doesn't especially when you're starting off does not come with with money it's not guaranteed that you'll make a profit so at the end of the day you kind of I think a lot of it is dependent on that and if if you find that you are making money like in a different direction than like what your five-year plan is then like follow that you know or yeah (laughs) right no I know I know when I was telling you that that first book I wrote when that first came out I was teaching tennis I remember I got the box of books got sent to my door I opened up I went holy shit I'm now officially I got a book on the shelves yeah, and yeah. then I had to close the book up and drive to the country club and go teach tennis. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember thinking like, 
this is not what I thought it was going to be. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. I should be like drinking champagne at a very nice restaurant and going, well, you know, my literary goals have always been. Uh, uh. But instead, I was teaching eight year olds how to swing a tennis racket. And it felt yeah. like the, the, my fantasy life as being an artist versus the reality of I need to put groceries on the table. That was a strange moment for me. It still feels weird to even talk about it. It's surreal, right? Yeah. Very surreal. Yeah. Like, yeah, so that's kind of where it comes back to like, you know, like what is a, what is a personal victory? Like what is, you know, what makes you happy and what kind of, what is a real goal? Like, I can remember when I like released Talking Walls, I was kind of like, there was so much leading up to the release of it. That when it released i was kind of like you know i some people like throw parties and stuff and i was just kind of like okay now i'm gonna go like go to the spa and like sit in silence all day because i'm like i just you know i'm so glad it's like out there and the work's done and it's like finally people can hear it but it's like you know you you have like such a it, it is so different than like what you think it would be kind of like maybe growing up or from an outsider's perspective but yeah yeah because the world for you shifts but for everybody else it carries on yeah exactly <laughs> right exactly. it's like don't you know i just put an album out and people are like i'm just getting a frappuccino what do you <laughs> yeah yeah exactly I'm just trying to get through traffic man <laughs> trying to get through traffic right exactly um yeah. Well, yeah, I think, I do think that, I mean, it's nice to have goals, but I also feel like that also comes with expectation and expectation is dangerous because it feels like whatever you expect is never going to, like, even if you want a puppy for Christmas and you get the puppy for Christmas, it's still not the same puppy as the dream puppy, even though it's yeah. still a puppy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> what is a dream puppy? Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's the name of my autobiography. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm so happy that you did this. I'm so glad that you're willing to chat with me and take the time to do it. I appreciate it. Thank you, Alex. This has been great. It's been such a pleasure to talk to. Isn't she cool? Lily Winwood. I really enjoyed that conversation. We'll have her back. Uh, I also enjoy her album, Talking Walls, immensely. It's one of my favorites of the year. You're going to love it, too. Buy it. Get it. Stream it. Own it. Vinyl it. Cassette it. Can you cassette it? I don't know if you can cassette it. Uh, But you're going to love it. And then uh, when we get together and hang out like we do every week (laughs) at the cafe, we'll talk about how much we love Lily Winwood's album, uh, lilywinwood.org. There's two L's in Lily. Actually, I take that back. There's three, L-I-L-L-Y, winwood.org. Go there for all your Lily Winwood information and uh, tour dates, merch, and stuff. alexgreenonline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. There is a new book coming out in 2023, so get ready for the self-promotion onslaught that will be relentless, 
tireless and punishing. I'm just giving you advance notice that I'll be talking about my book a lot. Follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor. Follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast or email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Do check out BombshellRadio.com to find out what makes our radio station tick. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate, and review, and tell everyone you know about our show. That'll do it for us for this week, but let's close the show with a longer listen to Lily Winwood's Keep It Spinning. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast, only right here on Bombshell Radio. Bombshell Radio.